What if your life was a dance? What if you could learn to perform it with grace and power? My name is Tudor Alexander, and I want to be your partner as we choreograph the dance of life. Join me as we share in some of the most meaningful life lessons and strategies that I've discovered in my career as a professional athlete and entrepreneur. We'll talk business, transformation, gratitude, and everything in between as we dance our way through life. Together, we'll learn and navigate life's changes and dance to whatever the music is playing. Are you ready? It's time for the dance of life. What's up, guys? Happy Friday. Thank you so much for joining me today. My guest is author of six books, founder and host of the Begin Self-Publishing podcast and Stoneham Press, Tim Lewis. What is up, Tim? It's going great, Tudor. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm pretty excited to have you because I am also learning how to write a book and it's quite a... uh, quite a monstrosity. I love writing, but it's a very different story when you want to write a book. So I'm pretty excited to interview you and talk to you about self-publishing, creating books, and how you have created this life for yourself as an author. How long have you been doing, you know, being an author like full-time and doing it as your life? Since March 2014, I think. Uh, It was 2014, 2015, but a while, about four years now. What were you doing before that? I was working, um, I basically was a, a team leader for a team of software developers, uh, for a financial company in the city of London. Oh, nice. And what, what was the transition like between that and writing a book? Like, I mean, what, first of all, what motivated you to become an author? Were you doing a lot of writing on the side when you were working there? Like, were you having your own blog or was it like a massive life change? Well, it was, um, it was the massive life change thing, which I'm sure has probably been a theme on some of your previous shows. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I got married in 2007, uh, began out with my wife a couple of years before that. Um, but sadly she had a stroke in 2009. Um, so that kind of made me readjust in terms of like my whole lifestyle, mm. um, uh, she, she sadly passed away in 2011. Oh, wow. And the, the thing that, that, that made, it made me realize that you have to make the most out of your life. Now, mm. like everybody, it's easier said than done. Right. Because we all end up in sort of the same path and we drift along. Uh, and you need, sometimes you need these big events to change your life. Uh, it still took me another three years to, give up my job and start doing other things Um, because I was in the position where I had paid off the mortgage in my house and I could do um, I could look to do be more entrepreneurial and take more risks because you have kind of more resources on the other side right exactly Um, and the funny thing was that I gave up uh, my job thinking I was going to do IT contract work rather than like writing or entrepreneurship but during my Basically, during my notice period in my job, it was like, it was about, it was actually about seven months before I finally left the job because they gave me a contract extension and other things. I read this book about self-publishing called Write, Sub, Write Publish, Repeat. Hmm. And this was about a lot of guys who were writing fiction books almost on a kind of industrial level. They write like a book a month or so. Oh, wow. Uh, various genres. Yeah. I mean, there's actually a lot in the fiction side of things. There are a lot of self-publishers who are almost like mini book creation engines. They generate, they write an awful lot and they, they have the same sort of 
procedures for editing and proofing and the rest of it. Yeah, they got a whole structure pretty much. Yeah. And I kind of thought, well, that's a good idea. I've always been interested. I've always been writing stories. I've never really ever completed one or written a book. So I thought, well, I'll give this a go. So I started doing this in my, uh, just towards the end of when I was leaving my job. And I thought, well, why don't I give a go at doing this? Like, rather than just continuing to do what I was doing, but on a contract basis. Mm. So that's kind of how I ended up in the world of self-publishing. So, I basically self-published three time travel novellas, um, the Time Shock series in 2000. Yeah, I was going to say, what was your first uh, first hit? <laughs> well, I mean, the funny thing is, from a commercial perspective, the first book is was probably the most successful, even though since then it's had probably the worst reviews. Hmm. But um, it's actually the whole self-publishing, in a way, is a great introduction to the world of online business and how the economy has changed as a whole. Hmm. Because people, don't, a lot of people don't realise how accessible things are to you now because of the internet and the way that that social media and self-publishing and online business and just the internet has ch- transformed basically everything. Absolutely, there's yeah, a lot of people in denial about that. Well, you know, with your with your publishing, uh, do you do just online, or do you also do paperback now, or is it where's your focus? Well, the first three books were just ebooks. Um, that was mainly because they were they were all in a series, but they were all short books. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you consider a short book? Words. Well, yeah, say twenty thousand words. So that's about sixty to eighty pages. Oh, okay. So they're like novellas. Um, I mean, there, there is a certain size of book, uh, beyond which a paperback just looks a bit strange. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you can have very small books, but, um, it, it's, yeah. I mean, what would you say is the cutoff for like a paperback? I mean, I've seen paperback books that were like, I think 200 pages, but nothing more than that. Well, a lot of it depends on, I mean, it's, it's hard to say because you've got to consider like font size of the book mm-hmm. uh, and the spine width. Of the book, and uh, but yeah, I, I would say sort of thirty thousand words is probably about the shortest for a paperback book you want. I mean, obviously, if you've got a non-fiction book and you've got lots of blank pages and <laughs> diagrams, yeah, like, you can you can pack <laughs> things out. I mean, um, so there isn't really necessarily a short thing, but you wouldn't be able to say right create a paperback book where you're only writing five thousand words unless you had a ridiculously large print. Uh, and uh, I mean, uh, the funny thing was that before I started becoming like somebody in self-publishing, I was I was one of the people who read an awful lot of ebooks, mm. a lot of self-published ebooks because they were cheap uh, in like 2012, 2013. And I saw some of the most. It was always a bit of a lucky dip with self-published books in those days because there was a whole Kindle gold rush going on. And I saw people doing like things where they would basically copy the same sort of four chapters and then change the words a little bit <laughs> and then kind of paste it on the next side. And just so they could maximize their exposure or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just so they make the book a bit more, um, padded out. Wow. And, uh, yeah. I mean, do you think um, that if somebody's doing an ebook that they should also consider, uh, having it? offered as an audiobook as well, whether it's their own narration or whether they're paying somebody to narrate it? Do you think that's a worthwhile strategy? 
Well, the great problem, uh, and it's why I've not done audiobooks before, is that um, it can be quite expensive. It used to be a lot more. I mean, if you've had a hit, real hit as an ebook or a paperback book, where you can show you're in the top ten of charts, uh, like consistently, and you've laid a lot of money on it, mm-hmm. there are there is a scheme called ACX that Amazon runs, the audio uh, exchange, the community exchange, uh, and it used to be able, uh, well, you still can, you can do a royalty split with a narrator. But if you're talking about hiring a narrator to actually go through your book, unless it's very short, uh, that's quite expensive. Mm. So, and the royalties for audiobooks are a lot lower than for, uh, than for ebooks and, uh, well, not so, about the same as paperback. Hmm. So. So it's really only worth it if you. Then that's obviously, that's something you can do, especially if you're used to being a podcaster. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where it's, there's obviously a time commitment and you can't, um, the audio quality has to be slightly higher than a lot of podcasters do. Right. Um, so all the ums and ahs and things probably need to come out. But, um, on the other hand, there is, uh, there is a market, which is what I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna start to do. I'm gonna do a quick proof of concept short audio book soon just to test, test this works. But I think there is an unpent demand for podcasters and people on the audio side for creating just short audio book first hmm. uh, and doing it that way. Um, it's different for authors of, who are used to writing. They will spend a lot of time trying to get used to actually being able to narrate their own books because it's actually surprisingly hard to read from something and then like create an audio book. It's a hmm. lot, it's a lot, it's actually quite a lot of work doing a long audio book yourself. It's certainly possible, but it's the time versus money trade-off again. Yeah. It's a it's an interesting balance, especially, like you said, with reading and narrating. I've had to narrate some things before, and it, it surprised me because I, I feel pretty comfortable talking on the microphone, but when it comes to reading, especially if it's like a, a longer sentence, you you narrate it and the intonation is totally off. You're like, oh, man, I got to start all over. Dang it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty back and forth process well i have a few questions for you about kind of a little more digging deep here one of them is can you share a challenging memory whether it's recently or you know something in the in the beginning of your path that you experienced as an author and how did you get back to motivation what what happened and how did you get through it this is where i'm 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 stalling trying to think of something um, I've actually suffered quite a lot from motivational and time management issues. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't say I necessarily got right back into it. Um, I, I think the greatest problem that I've had, um, because like when, when I, when I gave up work, I managed to, I was actually on a like three day a week working contract that I was doing. And I was fantastically productive in terms of writing books and writing fiction in that time period. Hmm. I think I wrote more in that time period than I have in like each of the years since. Wow. <laughs> now, what was different issue, about it, you think? Yeah, than what biggest was... issue I faced is working out that I'm actually an extrovert or more extroverted than I thought. Hmm. Um, now, uh, I, there is a, there is a, definition thing here that often gets missed and people will say 
they are an introvert because they're shy. I mean, a mistake many people make actually is they think that introverted people are shy um, when that's not necessarily the case. What being introverted means is that you get energy from being on your own. Hmm. And that's not the same as being shy. Being shy means that you, if you go up to somebody, you struggle to talk, connect to new people. Uh, so I would classify myself as shy. Because I was shy, I always thought I was an introvert. But actually, the best way to find out if you're an introvert or not is to try working from home. If you find your energy levels go right down because you're not talking to anybody else in the day, then you're, you're not an introvert, you're an extrovert. Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of people like, are like me and they struggle when they're at home, working at home on their own to actually motivate themselves. So that's I've managed to overcome that partially by being on social media a lot and interacting with other people. Though obviously social media has an issue in that you can end up spending ages on social media. Oh, yeah, creative wormhole. And the other thing is to try and go to as many events and connect with local people and things just to get yourself energised in that way. So even this having this interview will energise me a bit to do some work this evening. where the rest of the day I'm not necessarily done all that much. <laughs> nice. So it, I mean, this is the thing, but you do learn about yourself if you're an entrepreneur because the buck stops with you. Yeah. If you're an employee, you could be terribly unproductive, um, but get away with it. Hmm. But if you're an entrepreneur, you can be terribly unproductive, but you don't get away with it right. because you know it's the lack of money coming in and the lack of results. So that is the biggest challenge, and I'm still overcoming it now. Um, I may well end up even going to one of these sort of uh, sort of work uh, co-working spaces because mm. that may be the solution I have to take. But What's a co-working space like? Just a, an area where people come and they do work together, or yeah, yeah it's basically. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I certainly, have things like WeWork and places like that where you can rent out uh, a desk that you basically just go and sit there oh, wow. and work with your laptop. Um, they're not that cheap, uh, but that may be a... Because uh, they are taking off because there are a lot of home workers who, who have noticed this is an issue, that they are not introverted enough or necessarily disciplined enough to work in a home environment. They mm. have to work in a, some kind of office environment. Yeah, there is there is some power to having that... Uh, environment. And I think personally, I, I don't have a problem too much working at home, but at the same time, I also really enjoy, you know, going to a, like a little cafe or something and just being part of a, a moving environment, you know, for inspiration, especially for creative work. I find I don't mind doing like, uh, you know, like administrative stuff or, you know, this, the to do left brain kind of stuff. But if it's creative, I definitely seem to get a lot of energy if I'm in a little cafe with some ambient music and just people running around. So, well, for your own creative flow, what are some useful strategies? Obviously for you, it's very important to kind of get re-energized from the social interactions and things like that and derive your inspiration. Is there anything else that you can relate to people out there who are writers, who are authors, uh, about how to stay in the creative flow once you do start? Well, I mean, there's a whole number of um, things that I would suggest, but the biggest thing that made a difference to me was from that book, uh, 
quite obvious repeat. Um, and I've heard this told is if you're going to be writing a book, write the first draft as fast as possible. Hmm. Uh, don't go back doing self editing, uh, while you're writing it. I mean, obviously, if you see an obvious typo, then change it. But the best thing is just to write the first draft as quickly as possible. Now, I, I, I have managed to move procrastination off the first draft to planning the first draft a lot of the time. <laughs> but if you, if you have a plan, uh, and I, I say it's good to have like, uh, I mean, for fiction, the same applies to nonfiction. If you have like a couple of sentences about what you're going to talk about in this chapter, uh, and then for each of the chapters in the book that you're going to talk about, and then literally write as fast as possible. This gives you a number of things. One, you get the book finished uh, in the first draft form, and then you've got all the tedious editing afterwards. But because you've got this thing sitting there, you will get it finished at some stage. Um, I mean, that's true even with this, this audio book that I'm creating. Because I've got all of these audio interviews, hmm. I will get it done um, at some stage because I've done the work. You've already got this... It's the idea of like, you've got this thing that you've got there and you need to get it finished. The other advantage to doing a first draft very, very quickly is that you, 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 there's so many issues you get with books where you've written a bit and then you've written a bit more and then you spend two weeks off and then you've written another bit and you forget continuity or links or you repeat something you've said in the previous section. Yeah, you're not in the flow. Well, you just don't remember. You don't yeah. remember what you've written. But if you write everything as fast as possible, and this is why I like things like NaNoWriMo, which I do well, NaNoWriMo is perfect for me because it's a social event and it's write a book in, in November. 50,000 words in November. Wow. This is a national novel writing challenge thing in the US. But it's also here in London. So, And uh, so writing something as quickly as possible means that you remember what you've said and you keep a lot more in your head about what's actually. So you're reducing errors in terms of your first draft. Um, and that makes a fantastic difference. Cause if you, if you spend four years writing a book and you, you like, you're finishing the last chapter of it, uh, like this year, you're not going to remember what, what on earth you wrote unless you, have, you go, then you have to go back and reread what you wrote. Hmm. Uh, and that's, that's just like so much more unproductive. So you want to be focusing on writing a book from the first draft of the book from start to finish as quickly as possible. I mean, editing can take ages, uh, and editing does take ages. Um, and also employing an editor can, it can take a while to get a booking with a particular editor or proofreader and formatting. And all that kind of stuff, but that that doesn't matter so much from a time perspective. But actually having the book kind of written over a long period of time. I mean, I used to be one of these people who had loads of unfinished novels and things yeah. <laughs> because I wasn't following this approach of just writing as quickly as possible and getting nothing finished. Because if you have to go back and reread and try and work out what you wrote and what the story was. That's just so much work, and a lot of people just don't bother with that. So mm. just write the book and be done with it as fast as possible. That's a great strategy. <laughs> I can totally relate to that, especially with everything else going on in my life with with the books that I wanted to write. It's like 
man, you take a, I have a phone that's full of notepad notes on different things yeah. I want to add. And it's just like, I have all these little interruptions, you know, it's, it's not productive at all. So <laughs> I'll have to follow your advice. Well, what are yeah, you? I mean, oh, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. Tim. The other, the other bit of advice I would give is to do something similar to what I did uh, and write something short to begin with. Uh, the reason I say that is, A, you can do it as an ebook first, and ebooks are probably the easiest ones to do. Uh, it's not actually that significantly more difficult to do a paperback, but it will take you through the self-publishing process. Um, and if it doesn't sell, sell, it's not necessarily a disaster. Um, if you're, it's going to be a lot cheaper to edit the book. If it's a particularly short ebook, you could almost, I know a lot of people wouldn't say this, but I mean, if it's like only 5,000 words long, you could possibly get away with doing the, most of the editing yourself or using one of these cheaper sort of proofreading services. Well, if you're creating like a 200,000 word book, then you really do need to be investing in like proper editing because otherwise it's going to be terrible. Um, mm. so I was start, start with a short project so that you can understand the self publishing process. Um, and then move on to like the bigger things that you're looking to do afterwards. So you just kind of know what you're doing. Um, mm. because it's so easy, as you say, if you've got some massive book, you're never going to get it done. <laughs> mm. uh, and if you do a massive book and then you screw up some of the self publishing stages, so you, you put a, you create your own cover in Word or you don't pay for editing or you don't do any editing. Or like you just make formatting mistakes and all sorts of other things, then it's going to be a lot worse than if you've just done it on a small book. So I mean, I suppose this is a this is kind of a, a, a lesson in life: try something on the small scale first, and then do a big version. Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So that would be my other main bit of advice. Well, what are you excited for that's coming up? Any any projects or any personal travels anything related to your publishing that you are excited you've got that social media book that you're writing yeah i've got that book i mean longer term um i am potentially looking to move somewhere uh, mm. i don't know where like you want to <laughs> stay in europe US or somewhere. in the u.s so i have been traveling a fair amount um I, I did a little tour of uh san diego wichita austin and new york earlier on in the year uh um, San Diego was for social media marketing world and Austin was for Southwest, Southwest. And I know people in Wichita and I know people in New York. So it's kind of, uh, I have been, because this is one of the other great things that has changed. Um, and I'm not actually sure how much longer it's going to stay like this, but I do want to probably in the next year or so, I may look at at least part of the year living in somewhere else in the world. Hmm. Uh, because one of the great opportunities about online business is that you don't have to be linked to any particular place in the world. Yeah. Um, now I've got friends within London, but not specifically in the area I live in, um, uh, not in Northeast London. So it is this whole kind of geo arbitrage thing where I've got, I've got a house in the UK I could rent that out or sell it and then potentially live somewhere cheaper or, or more interesting for part of the year. So that would be more on the, the time frame for next year. Um, this is what I'm thinking about potentially for the future. So I'm making the most of the fact that the world is, it's quite easy to work and live in different places in the world thanks to the internet. 
Now, the reason why I'm, I'm worried that this particular world may be closing down is that obviously there are lots of geopolitical things and anti-immigration and anti-travel. and hmm. <laughs> All of those are in the resurgence again now. Um, I don't think that that's going to close down the opportunities for people to be move, able to move around the world. But it's something to be bear in mind that you possibly the next five or so years is the time to be thinking of moving around if you're interested in that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, you know, it's I read a, an article about Tesla, Elon Musk, how he wants to put the Hyperloop all over the planet. And, yeah. and it's like, man, can you imagine a world where literally any place in the world is like maximum three hours away from where you are right now? This just blows my mind. The ability to to travel and commute to any part of the planet within a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> that just blows my well, mind. Well, I mean, this is the thing. The idea of uh, there will still be cities in the future, uh, but the idea of people commuting into work, into common offices in the middle of big cities, that economy is slowly is slowly changing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, because of things like AI coming in uh, and just home, the whole homework and sort of social because a lot, awful lot of workers now can work from anywhere. They don't need to be in a particular office to do their job. So if you look at like all the companies in the city of London or in like San Francisco, central San Francisco, an awful lot of the companies working there will be replaced by other companies that are made up of people who are working in, say, Wichita or sort of the north of England in Newcastle or somewhere, mm. which are cheaper places <laughs> to live. Um, and maybe they'll be going to, maybe they have an office there, um, or maybe they'll just be a collection of homework, because some of them are going into their own uh, homework, uh, basically co-working spaces. So the idea of commuting as itself could it could be dying out as a concept. I mean, there will still be people living in cities, because there are lots of things you get from living in a city, like museums and art galleries and great entertainment and all the rest of it. But there won't be so many people who are just in a city because that's where their job is. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's one of the big changes that's going to happen in the next 10, 20 years. Uh, and I, I don't think people are, are necessarily as mindful of like this whole transformation that's happening. So the, 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 everybody competing to in the rat race to go into all go into a big city and like work in that big place. A lot of that's going to change. People yeah. will be living in the city because they want to live in the city, not because that's where their job is, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I think it's we're due for some radical population changes, some radical infrastructure changes in the next five to ten years, especially with all the technological advances happening. It's something you could probably talk about for another... Pff, I, I love talking about that kind of stuff, just looking at automated cars and you know, the impact on, on our whole way of being. It's just, it's crazy. It's mind-blowing. Well, what are you grateful for right now, Tim? What's the biggest thing that you're grateful for coming up on the interview here? So, um, I would say the main thing I'm grateful for is that I've been able to keep going with this lifestyle uh, <laughs> yeah. for like four years now. And, I mean, I've not made vast amounts of money doing it. Uh, but I've been managing to keep doing it. I'm not, I'm not in any imminent risk of financial meltdown or having to go and work at Starbucks or anything. So I'm grateful for the fact that I'm able to live a life that 
where I'm doing things beyond the norm, so to speak. And I'm like anybody, you always struggle. You say, like, I think, oh, I might go and live abroad sometime. Well, I'll probably do that next year. But at least I'm in the position where I can do it. I'm not mm-hmm. like, um, I'm not in, in a position where I just feel totally trapped in life like a lot of people mm-hmm. do. And I was in that position for a few years. Um, certainly when my wife was ill. So that's what I'm grateful for, to be able to actually live the life I live. Obviously, I want to be more successful. Who doesn't? Um, but I'm grateful for what I've got at the moment in terms of my current lifestyle. Hmm. Very nice. Any final words of wisdom on creating a life you love for people listening? Um, I suppose what I would say is don't, if you're considering changing your life in some way, don't, don't be put off by the fact that you see all these people doing things on like podcasts or interviews or whatever, and they look like they've like had an easy ride and that you should be just getting out there and like starting your own business tomorrow and doing everything. And the fact that you haven't done it means you were some sort of failure. It's very, very difficult to make that transition. It's, it doesn't matter if you do it tomorrow or if you do it next year. The important thing is just to do it when you're ready to do it. And it may be that at the moment it's not the time for you, but that doesn't mean that because you didn't do it now, you're never going to be able to do it. Uh, there may be a time that comes in the future when it, you do get to do that. So don't, because it's easy to see, you, you tend to see the successes. So like you'll see people interviewed on shows and they're like, they've made a million pounds or whatever and a million dollars in a week uh, and it's easy to think like well why can't I do that like why can't I get myself out of bed or why can't I do this what you don't see is all the others are hundreds of other people who've tried that and had difficulties with it so it's a hard work doing transformation but transformation is so rewarding in the end mm. so don't think it's like necessarily going to be easy but on the other hand um I suppose it's kind of like, and if you're having trouble with the, making that jump that you want to make in your life, that's perfectly natural. But the thing is that it's often a lot better once you get through that jump than you think it will be when you're thinking about it. Um, <laughs> Very true indeed. Very cool, my friend. Where can they find you if they want to learn more about self-publishing, about uh, creating a book, maybe even ask you for some consulting advice? Well, the best place to go is the website beginselfpublishing.com. Um, I run the Begin Self Publishing podcast, which is on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's on Spotify and all the usual podcast places. Um, my fiction books uh, are at stoneandpress.com. Um, and on the best place probably to talk to me on social media is on Twitter, which I'm at Stone and Press. Uh, I've also got... At, at begin set, begin SP podcast uh, Twitter account if you just want to be able to follow the podcast episodes on there uh, and yes that's the uh, that's the best ways to contact me super yeah we'll put your info in the show notes so thank you so much that uh, concludes our interview on creating a life you love with Tim Lewis host of Begin Self Publishing podcast author of six books and founder of Stone and Press. And thank you again, Tim. It was awesome to have you on the show and learn about self-publishing. I'm really excited to get back to writing now. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Gina. All right. Thank you, my friend. Well, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. 
You're listening to the Dance of Life podcast with your host, Tudor Alexander. Join me weekly as I discuss my most meaningful life lessons and strategies on entrepreneurship, transformation, gratitude, and how to dance your way through life. For the latest content and bonus material, make sure you get subscribed using your favorite listening platform. And if you like today's episode or want to contribute to a future episode, share your ideas and keep the conversation going at danceoflife.com. And remember, life is short, so you might as well learn to dance your way through it. Until next time, I'm Tudor Alexander, and this is The Dance of Life. <laughs>